Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. It is so good to be with you this morning, and if you're a guest with us, I especially want to welcome you and just say thank you so much for joining us wherever it is that you are. And I want you to know that my hope and my prayer for you today is the same as it is for every person who joins us every week that they join us, and that's simply this. No matter where you find yourself in your faith today, I hope that you are able to take one step towards Jesus because that is what we're all about here at Crossbridge. And I do just want to give a quick shout out and a thank you to so many of you who have been texting me and sharing your stories with me about how after last week, kind of sharing the story of Jesus in your life with others and praying for people and just encouraging them with scripture, you've done it, you're doing it. And I'm so proud of you. It, it reminded me of um, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. He says uh, in verse 21, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And I just want to say thanks so much for, for leaning in to looking a little bit more like heaven as you share the story of Jesus. Um, I'm so proud of you and I see this. You know, this week, I, uh, earlier in the week, I had to go run up to North Jersey to do some errands with Eileen, my wife. And we had left pretty early in the morning to go up there. And I am grateful that my kids are at the age where we can leave them and they can kind of jump into the virtual school thing. And it was a total virtual day. And as we went up, you know, we kind of got everything squared away and we, we started up on our way. And of course, you know, we begin to receive the text to make sure everything's okay and, and confirming that, you know, the house isn't burnt down and, and the Wi-Fi is maybe working. But inevitably, we got up and the trip that we had to take actually became much more extended, almost like four hours more worth of time. And at one point, we got a text from one of the kids that simply said this, you know, when are you going to be home? And now here's, you may be thinking like, oh, Pastor Jimmy, your kids are so awesome. Like they're so concerned for you that they would be, you know, wondering when they, when you came home and hold on. This was not a concerned text. Okay. Um, this uh, was not, I want to make sure you're okay. And I can tell you that because they're my kids and they have my genes in there. This Crossbridge was a measurement text. This was a measurement text making sure that they knew the appropriate time that we would arrive at the house because they needed to figure out how much time did they have to continue their screens, their video games, and their, you know, whatever they were doing before they had to stop and complete the list of chores that we had sent them because we were late. It was not care. It was measurement, right? And, and so it's kind of interesting to me that as we walked in, the jobs weren't necessarily done, right? But the request of how much time do I have to complete the task that's in front of me? I want to get back to my things. You know, as I think about it, I've really begun to see that while they're my kids and I, I, I expect them to do that, I've done the same thing. And if I'm being honest with you, Crossbridge, I, I do the same thing. I remember as a kid that 
I would figure out which jobs would I ignore that my mom asked me to do because she would get so frustrated of asking that finally she would do it. And it was less work for me to get yelled at and not listen than to do the job it was. But now as a parent, what I thought was strategic as a kid is now the most annoying thing that I deal with because I'm the one who's trying to figure out who's emptying the dishwasher and, and turning off the lights in my house, repeating the old man phrase of, do you think I own the electric company? And you know, things you never thought you'd say that you're saying, but I'm disheartened because I wanna see my family grow. I wanna see my kids mature and contribute to the whole family, the Donnarumas. But the truth is, I. I think we do this in our relationship with God as well. We do this all the time where more than we'd like to admit, especially in light of our conversation on prayer that we're going into right now, we, we kind of try to dedicate this time to prayer. It's what we're trying to do each day. But like last week, so often we, we pray with our, our heads down, our hands folded, our eyes closed, and we check the box so we can move on to what we really needed to do that day, the fun stuff that we wanted to get to. And I've wondered a lot this week as I've been praying and asking God, am I, am I treating this time like a task that you've given me that I just, I just need to check up before you say, I'm coming home, I'm, I'm returning. All right, good, it's done, I did it. Does this time actually change the way that, that I relate to you, God? Does it change the way that I live in my place in your family? Do, do I believe that this time with you is actually gonna make a difference? Because you know, when I was a kid, I, I remember praying when I was being bullied in elementary school that God would bring you know, justice to those bullies. And I believed that God would. And, and my eyes were open when I was a kid to see all the things that were wrong around me. And I, and I would pray as a kid to say, God, you gotta right those wrongs. And yet here I stand as an adult today, staring around me in our culture, and I see injustices and wrongs all around me. And, and here I am again praying, God, help. God, do something. For these situations to get better, would your justice reign? And I need to tell you that when when little changes around me and nothing seems to be happening, those prayers aren't directly answered. Sometimes I get tired of praying. Sometimes praying feels like staring at a sink full of dishes in your kitchen and you know you need to do it. And you look at it and say, but what's the point? Because dinner's an hour away and it's only gonna get worse. What's the point in this? And, and I know that you have felt that way too. And not only do I know that you felt that way, but I'm positive the disciples felt that way because Jesus talks to them directly about prayer and not giving up, about taking heart in what we do in prayer. And to explore that, I wanna look at a scripture in Luke chapter 18 with you today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 18. And we're gonna go off of a passage that our uh, denomination has kind of asked for the churches to work off of 
in, during this series, but we're going to take it in a completely different direction. So if you're following our 40 days of prayer guide and you feel like it's a, this doesn't match, that's all on me, not on them. Okay. I'm taking it in a different direction, but keep praying this week anyway. It's good. Okay. But if you're looking for Luke, you're going to go um, about three quarters of the way through your Bible. And Luke is one of the authors of um, the biographies of Jesus. With Luke, what's really important for you to know as we walk into this is he's a physician. So details really do matter to Luke, and it is the most detailed biography of Jesus that we have. But not only do the details matter, the order does matter. And so he orders his stories pretty uniquely. And as we look at this passage in chapter 18 today, it's going to be important to kind of look around it as well to pull this stuff out. So with that in mind, before we look anywhere, Matthew 18 Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, starting in verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice just because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? If you're a little confused with this passage, that's okay. Um, I should tell you that I've traditionally, as a disciple of Jesus, had a lot of trouble with this passage because as I've heard it taught, um, people always talk about the fervency or their persistence in prayer, how you gotta keep going after God, gotta keep going after God, gotta keep going after God. And, and if you pray hard enough, then God's gonna hear you. And if you keep praying, you keep annoying God, he's gonna come through. And I, I don't know about you, but that just feels so off for some reason. It doesn't really match what I read across the breadth of scripture about prayer. Because the truth is, I don't want to serve and follow a God that I can annoy into giving me what I want. Like he's some withholding cosmic sugar daddy waiting for me to bug the garbage out of him. And fine, I'll relent and give you. That does not feel like a loving God. And yet that's how this passage is treated so much. I can't imagine God wanting to be approached this way. To be honest, as a dad, I hate when my kids constantly bug me for things, especially things that I know are not good for them, but they want it anyway. As we look at this passage, it's important to pick up that Jesus is not comparing this judge and our Heavenly Father. He's actually contrasting our Heavenly Father and this unjust judge. He's not trying to figure out where they're similar. He's pointing out where they're different. And to really bring this to life, what I'd love for you to do is turn back a page to Luke chapter 17. As you look at Luke 17, 
I don't want to like read everything in here, but I'll sum it up for you so that you have an idea. And um, I know that as a pastor, sometimes I can get on my little ADHD rabbit trails and you're like, oh, he's doing that thing again. That's, that's funny. Um, it's going to seem like that for a second. It's going to seem like, why are we going all the way back there to talk about this? He didn't even really go into it. I promise you, what we're going to look at here is going to like highlight this parable of Jesus in Luke 18 in such a way that, that it's all going to tie together. You just got to stick with me for a second, okay? Are you ready? In Luke 17, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he begins to talk to them about forgiveness because he recognizes, like, listen, people are going to mess with you, and, and you're going to have to forgive them. They're going to disappoint you, and, and so they ask, well, how many times do we need to forgive them? And he says, every time they ask for forgiveness, you need to forgive them. And their response to him, if you actually look at it, he says, they say to him, well, Lord, increase our faith because they know that there is something supernatural that needs to happen to forgive the people around you because there are wrongs all over in our life. Amen? We feel that. And so Jesus is like, you're gonna, you're gonna have to forgive. And they say, we need some help with this. And if you keep going, Jesus then takes his disciples and they begin to travel along the uh, Samaritan and Israel border. It doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal. But as they're kind of taking that border, Jesus runs into a group of 10 men who all have a skin disease. Because of the laws of the Old Testament, these 10 men were not accepted in their communities and villages. They were forced to live outside. So Jesus sees these 10 men, he heals these 10 men, and they go off to the temple where they would not have been allowed before to be washed and cleansed and only one returns to say thank you. And the one who returns is a Samaritan. You know, I used to look at this passage and think, oh, that's whatever, it's a throwaway, it's who, he's a Samaritan, no big deal. But it's actually a very important detail. If we have 10 men living together who are all forced out of their communities on the border of two separate countries that really hate each other, or I should say tribes of people that hate each other, you know who these 10 guys are? It's Jews and Samaritans. It's two people, two sets of people who were told never to be with each other, who hated each other. And in their pain and their forced rejection from their own communities, they identify with each other and find community. And Jesus finds these outcasts brings them healing, and I'm assuming, based on this, because the only one who came back was Samaritan, that the other nine are Jewish people, and, and those Jewish people found their family again, but it's the Samaritan come, who comes back to say thank you. To say thank you. He's righted a wrong, and he meets this mixed and broken community. The first 19 verses of chapter 17 remind us that there are issues in our personal life and in the lives of those around us. There is things that are broken and wrong. And it's about to get real in verse 20. In verse 20, it says this, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? This question that the Pharisees are asking, asking here has been a question 
that they have been asking and talking about since they understood any part of scriptures about the kingdom of God. And, and the heart of this question is actually found in the first word that you see here. The first word is when. Okay, when. If you're watching with us online right now on Facebook or you've got access to comments, I just want you to go ahead in the comments and type when in there. And when people see all these whens, they're going to wonder what it is. And that's great. It'll draw them right in. You can share it. Right, but I want you to type when in there. When is the most important word of this question? And they're asking, when will the kingdom of heaven come? Without getting into the weeds of this whole section, the Pharisees are really asking, like a set of kids, when do we need to pay attention to make sure all our jobs are done by? When is this arrival of the kingdom so that we can be ready? We'll kind of figure out in between, but we really need to know when crunch time is to study. Almost like it's a final that you've got to cram the night before. They want to know when should we be looking for this? How long do I, do I get to do what I want to do before I have to do what I have to do? When does it matter? To which Jesus responds, I love this. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. This is where we started our service, right? The kingdom of God is already among you. At that point, the Pharisees don't know what to do. So Jesus begins to explain till the end of the chapter of what this looks like. And, and I cannot sum it up well for you but he kind of creates this picture of everything's happening around us and we should always be ready to, to receive the kingdom when it comes because it's active all the time. And the, the, the Pharisees are frustrated because there's no answer to when. But the disciples shift and they ask a question now. In verse 37, it says, where? Will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Where? The first word of their question? Type it in. We had when from the Pharisees. We've got where from the disciples. Where? They have just seen Jesus in the last chapter and throughout the beginning of Acts break every possible cultural rule. He has crossed boundaries racially and he has picked up on injustice over and over and brought justice to those issues. He has confronted racial issues, social standings, religious rules that were oppressing the people. He's elevated women and children in a culture where they were um, valueless, where they had nothing to contribute. He put them on equal standings as the men of that culture. And I think that the disciples here, after what Jesus says, are finally picking up that the kingdom of heaven is all around them. And they're no longer saying, when, Lord? They're saying, where? Where is this at work? Where can we do what you're doing? All of this culminates now with the story that we find where Jesus tells them, in chapter 18, the parable that we read about a widow and an unjust judge. And verse 1 simply says again, 
One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. When the disciples ask where, Jesus knows the answer to this and is going to respond with a story. There's a story that's important. And the story, it begins with, if you are going to pay attention, right? We have to keep that in our mind. If you're going to see, you know, exercise forgiveness to the people around you, if you're going to heal those who have been ostracized and step in for them, if you're going to care for the women, the children, the immigrants, refugees, if you're gonna see all of these things, I need to tell you the first thing that you have to do is always pray. Always pray. And if you find yourself as a disciple or apprentice of Jesus, someone who's dedicated their life to him and wants to follow his teachings, you got to hear me on this. Our first step, anytime we see something that is unjust around us, our first response is prayer. Our first response would be taking whatever it is that isn't right and simply putting it before this holy God who, who cares. He understands it. He sees it. And we need to make sure, God, that I need to see this like you see this. I want to understand this like you understand this. I'm going to pray for these things. And then as we begin to pray for these things, what's Jesus' next command before he gets into the parable? He says, I need you to pray and to never give up. I need you to always pray and never give up. This story that he tells them is not about belittling God to get what you want out of life. This story is about paying attention to all the things that are wrong around us and constantly praying for them and never giving up. It's an endless sink filled with dishes. But God says, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let me tell you a story to help illustrate for you how I don't want you to give up. This is how I need you to lean into praying right now. And so he, he takes these two characters of an unjust judge and a widow. And the disciples, in the, as Jesus went through this story, would have understood the judge that's represented here. It was a very common type of judge that existed all around the nation that they were in. A judge who just fired through cases, did not really care about the outcome because the more he got through, the more he got paid. And, and judges like this were very prone to bribery. So they would kind of put off cases that didn't matter so that they could take the ones that people were paying them to take and give a verdict in the way that they were being paid to give a verdict because it just didn't matter. They didn't have this um, moral accountability to the word of God, and they didn't really care about the people that they were governing. Judges like this were everywhere. But the widow is a little different because the widow of the story would have been here at an immediate disadvantage for a couple of reasons. One of them, um, she's a woman, and women in this culture had no voice to speak up. Number two, she's a widow, which means not only does she not have a voice, she does not have a man in her life to speak up for her in the court system, which really only spoke to men. And thirdly, 
she is financially strapped. And we know this because as a widow, she would not have access to the same jobs, to the same resources that someone who was married or a man would have access to. With no money, there's no way to hire a lawyer. There's no influence. There's no bribing this judge or the officers to get to the judge like anybody else would. The injustice that's done to her, we don't know what it is, but the truth is, it doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because the offender really doesn't have to worry if this woman gets to the judge. Because her enemy most likely has way more than she has in any regard to get the verdict that he wants. And the unjust action can just be left. It could sit. But this woman, this widow is different. And Jesus says that she wants justice. And the word justice here is also, she wants a vindication. Something has gone wrong and she wants it to be made right. And verse four tells us how this judge responds by ignoring her, right? It's probably really easy to ignore this woman because you're getting nothing out of it. It doesn't make you look good. It doesn't make the courts look good. And if you, see, if you hear this case, then all the widows are gonna start coming to you. Like, it's not worth it. It's easier to ignore her, but she doesn't quit. In the Jewish faith, they call this chutzpah. It's this, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's boldness. And so she lives out this chutzpah and doesn't relent on this judge. And Jesus kind of says the resolution to this in verse five is so good. Oh my gosh, because this woman will not stop bothering me, I have to do something. Like I'm tired of this lady. Is this ever going to end? Because she keeps working, and the, the Greek word here is laboring. She is working so hard to get justice for her unjust offense that this judge who does not care about God and does not care about people says, fine, fine, here is your justice. Jesus calls the disciples here to contrast this judge with our Heavenly Father. If a selfish judge finally meets the needs of a poor widow, how much more does our Heavenly Father meet the needs of His own children who cry out to him for the injustices that they see in their life and all around them. This parable is not commanding us to pester God to get what we want. We cannot pester God into acting. God is ready to bring justice in his timing. Think about all that we have been soaping together as a church through Jeremiah. And if you're not familiar with that, soaping is the way that we read scripture day by day together, chapter by chapter, and we're reading Jeremiah. And, and it's been wild to see that God cares about justice, about people being overlooked and robbed and cheated. And he's like, this can't happen. And so God's justice, we know throughout that book, is coming. And it's not going to be pretty for the Israelites. And here, justice is coming for this widow. Justice came for the lepers. Things were made right. That is justice. 
I believe that just like Jeremiah and God told him, just keep praying, keep saying, and keep working. It's the same thing for the disciples here. And it's important for us. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we like the Pharisees right now asking the question of when? when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to prayer and how we engage in prayer, are we saying, when is this just a box that I could check on and move on? Is this just obligatory? It's not really rooted in what's happening around me and I could just be done. When it's that way, it's more about our lives. It's more about, I don't know, feels like we want things in order in our life more than we want to see order and justice around us. When do I have to care about the people around me? When, when, when do I really have to, like, really pray? Or do we pray like the disciples? Are we asking not the question of when, but where? Are we empowered by the Holy Spirit to look like this desperate widow? Are we praying that God would open our eyes to the injustices around us that do not line up with everything that we read in Scripture? Not what we feel like, not what we think, and not what culture tells us, but what Scripture tells us. This is what justice looks like. People created equally, everyone having a footing, everyone's got a place in the house of God, and all should be invited in and taken care of. Sell everything you got and give it to people. Give everything you have sacrificially. Go! do it. Are we really caring about what this says and saying, God, would you conform my heart to see this? Would you open my eyes to see in my travels lepers who need healing, people who need forgiving, hopeless who need hope? They watched Jesus break down every social boundary to mend the broken and the bruised, to welcome the outcast and the foreigner, to give voice to the widows, the children, and anyone with no voice. Prayer is so much more than the words that we say in our heads and our hearts. And while, please hear me, I absolutely we believe at the core of who I am that we need our time alone with God. We need to be in those private places with him in silence and solitude where we can hear his voice and he can hear and see our hearts, that we can lay all ourselves bare before him. But make no mistake, prayer does not end there. You do not check a box when you leave the closet. You do not check a box when you pray to our Father and move on to what's next. While we need that time alone, just like Jesus, it has to lead us to praying with our eyes open, our voice loud, and our hands at work. We need to stop asking when and start asking where. If we really pray for the eyes of Jesus to show us where our present does not line up with the kingdom of God, it's going to be easy to get overwhelmed because it is everywhere. It is everywhere. And in those moments, we have to pause and we need to remember the words of Jesus in Luke 18, chapter 1. He says, I'm going to tell you a story so that you will always pray and you'll never give up. When you look around at all of these things, your first response, always pray, always pray, always pray. Line your heart up with mine. I see these injustices and here's what I need from you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. 
don't give up. The disciples then begin to put into practice, always praying, never giving up. And as we've read Acts together, what is Acts? It's the story of always praying, never giving up, seeing something wrong and saying, God, what can I do to make it right? Not waiting and saying, I see that. I hope someone does something. No, it's, it's walking to the temple, seeing someone lame and saying, I don't have any money, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And in faith, they said, I see things wrong. I want to make it right. And it wasn't just the disciples. It became the church, the entire mass of believers who lived out, always praying. Keep going. Don't give up. For them, they began to exercise the values of kingdom, justice, and mercy. They extended their hearts to love the people that Jesus loved. It wasn't about when, it was about where. The when was already established. The kingdom of heaven exists around you. The where is what matters. And I want to tell you, Crossbridge family, where is right where you are. Where is who's on the couch with you? Who's at your watch party with you? Who's on your street and who your neighbor? Who are you around because there's injustice there that needs to be righted that God's saying, always pray about it. And then do something about it. Step into this. These disciples privately begged God for restoration and justice and then they publicly prayed with their lives as they stepped out and did something about it. As disciples of Jesus, I want to tell you today, it is hard to look at the whole Bible and not believe that God cares about justice because Jesus constantly paid attention to those who were being pushed down and pushed aside, whose voices were being silenced. He says, this is not right. And I believe that every single one of us is called to live this out too. I do. And, and it's going to look different for all of us, okay? Make no mistake, you, you, what you care about and where you see injustice might be different than it is for me, but we're called to this. And I think that's what makes Jesus's words at the end of this parable, they don't make sense normally, but they make sense when you see it now. And he simply says at the end, but when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Jesus is returning. And when our coming King returns, will he see a faith that's asking when? Or will he see a faith that's begging, pleading, crying out for where? At Crossbridge, we have a ministry that is called CB Local. And right now, this is our local branch of, of where? where God is something not right that we can step in. And what I love most about this team at Crossbridge is that it's made up of this amazing team of people who all care about different things. They, they all care about different things and their passion for justice in different areas. It's caring for the elderly, the homeless, the single parent, abused families, teenage moms, you know, kids in foster care, the hungry, refugees, immigrants, anyone who feels overlooked and forgotten. There's someone there who says, hey, we need to remember them. And, and here's what I love. Not everyone is passionate about the same injustice, but every injustice matters to God. And therefore, he's given us the capacity to say, you don't have to fix the whole world, but where are you? That's enough for now. You can't change the billions around us, but, but, but that small group, you could do something in that community. 
If this is the first that you're hearing about CB Local, let me just tell you, you could jump on, we have a Facebook page that they're always posting different ways to connect and people who need help and how we do it. It's amazing how much ministry that this branch of Crossbridge does. And it is humbling to see how many people we get to serve to see the kingdom of heaven all around us. They're always praying, never giving up. Could you imagine how differently our prayer life would look if the passion that we had came from where, not when? How different would it be to approach God and instead of saying, am I done? To say, where do you need me now as I leave my, my, my space with you that I'm stepping into prayer in this area specifically of injustice? How different would we be praying for those people if we knew that we were the answer to prayer that God wanted to use? So Crossbridge, I, I need us as a church to always pray. And in the words of Jesus to his disciples, to you and me, that we would never give up and that our prayers this week for those who are forgotten would fuel us to step into those areas and live and love like Jesus. Let us continue to pray with our eyes open and take the opportunities to do that. Crossbridge family, I love you. I don't want to be a church who sits. I want to be a church who goes, but at the pace of Jesus, one injustice at a time. Where are you going to step in? With that, I want to pray a prayer blessing over you as we have every week. The same prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. And I know it's awkward, but we're going to do it anyway. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me wherever you are and receive this blessing that Paul has for the church in Ephesus that I pray for you. I pray that from his glorious unlimited riches, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand, and then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen.